Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. We're back at the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway Association meeting in Savannah, Georgia, and have rounded up what I think has got to be the most distinguished guest at this event. I think it's quite possible. Just listen to this. Dennis Barber is here with us. Welcome, Dennis, to the uh, American Shoreline Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, I'm going to do a little bit of your resume. He is a member of the board of the North Carolina Beaches, Inlet, and Waterways Association, which is effectively the chapter, the Texas, I mean, the uh, North Carolina chapter of American Shore and Beach, sort of, kind of, Yes. for North Carolina. He is a board member of the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway Association, which is the sponsors of the event we are attending. He is the former mayor of Carolina Beach. Uh, He is the chairman of the New Hanover County Port Waterway and Beach Commission. And he is the proud owner of the Island Marina and the Island True Value Tackle and Hardware Store. Those are two different things. Two different things. so a longtime coastal American, I will say that, and very active. Absolutely. I've been a resident of Carolina Beach for about 55 years. I guess wow. you'd call that a native. <laughs> Absolutely. So for folks around the country, and I'm a big fan of the North Carolina coast. I just think it's one of the be- most beautiful uh, shorelines in America. But introduce the North Carolina coast and introduce uh, New Hanover County to our listeners from around the country. Okay, New Hanover County is in kind of the southern part of the coast of North Carolina. Um, the only county south of us that goes to the South Carolina line is Brunswick County. But New Hanover County is a peninsula, basically, that is bordered on the west side by the Cape Fear River and on the east side by the Atlantic Ocean. So we're definitely a qualified to be called a coastal community. Yes, and uh, you were have been the mayor of Carolina Beach. Tell us about that beautiful little town. Well, it's got a population of about, I'm going to say, 6,500. Um, along below us is Curry Beach. We're basically called Pleasure Island because the two beaches join boundaries. And while they're our neighbors, we just look at it as one big community and one coastal island. So when you say 6,500 population, we're talking off-season. That's correct. In July. Well, in July, it probably blossoms to about, I'd say, 30,000. Right. Right. Yeah, all along this part of the North Carolina coast, Oak Island, where I've had the pleasure of working. Similar, somewhere around four or 5,000 people in the off-season and about 30,000 or 40 at the peak of the summer season. So running beach towns of this uh, kind where you've got, significant uh, seasonal shifts in population is real demanding when you're the mayor of a town like that. Well, it is. um, All of your infrastructure, basically, you have to plan for 30,000 people, not 6,000 residents. And uh, and that is required by state when it comes to permitting for um, water, sewer, anything you can think of. Law enforcement. Uh, Law enforcement. Fire. Fire, beach rescue, everything yeah yeah yeah. expensive to run a a resort town it is it is uh so we're here at the atlantic intercoastal waterway association dennis and you are a board member of this organization how long have you been on the board and why are why given all of the things that you do and you have many many affiliations uh, why is it important to be on the board of aiwa well probably 20 years ago is when i was appointed as a board member for 
NC Byway, North Carolina Beaches Inlets and Waterways. And approximately four years ago, they asked me to step up and be NC Byway's representative on the board with AIWA. I see. To be sure if we're, we have common concerns and overlapping projects and programs that, you know, one organization is talking to the other, basically. And we have AIWA support on NC Byway and vice versa. AIWA, I mean, NC Byway with AIWA. Uh, Brad, our director for AIWA, attended the conference in Wilmington last week of NC Byway. Right. Uh, we missed that. And our good friend Kathleen Riley, who is the executive director of NC Byways, uh, hello and a shout out to Kathleen. And uh, hopefully we'll get there next year. Good. But. Good. Uh, and so this integration of uh, the coastal advocacy organizations like NC Byways uh, and, uh, and AIWA is important because of the shared interest in waterway management and beach management and shorelines. That all goes together. Absolutely. NC Byway is, we, we term it as being one unified voice for the coast of North Carolina. Right. Representing North Carolina on all water resource and water projects and programs. Uh, AIWA covers New Jersey all the way to Florida, so it's got a little broader scope, but yeah. there's a lot of overlap in what both organizations are concerned about. Well, I'm going to jump in one more level question, and then I want to make sure I get some space for Tyler to talk. And uh, But one of the things I love about North Carolina is I think as a state, uh, particularly in the coastal county level, there's some of the best managed beach programs around. Uh, I think Tyler and I had the pleasure of interviewing Rudy Rudolph from Carteret County and the fine program management uh, they've put in place there. Dare County also extremely proficient and effective shoreline management county. But New Hanover County, uh, when uh, I was over there working with uh, the folks in in Topsail Beach, we all looked just jealously over at New Hanover County and the revenues that you've been able to put together. It's an extraordinary county when it comes to shoreline management. Uh, what do you think accounts for the fact that uh, that New Hanover was, I think, so far ahead of the curve in so many ways on uh, on coastal management? What, how did that happen? Well, being a, we were the first to get a federal permit 50 years ago, there was a lot of thought, I think, put into it back then. What happens after 50 years if mm -hmm. there's no federal project? Right. So I would say our forefathers, you might call it that, were had enough foresight to uh, look into ways to produce revenue should we no longer have a federal funding to do our coastal storm damage reduction projects. So they were uh, convinced our legislators to put in a room occupancy tax that benefits the uh, visitors bureau as well as part of that goes into a fund to build up revenue for future beach nourishment mm -hmm. should we have to do it on our own right and the when you say these federal projects and one of the first 50-year federal projects what we're talking about here are uh shoreline uh management pr primarily it's beach management beach restoration and dune restoration Three federal projects in this part of the North Carolina coast, the Carolina Beach Project, the Curry Beach Project, and Wrightsville Beach Projects. Right. And, uh, you know, I always refer to these things as it's the, it's the brass ring. It's what every local community and county on the American shoreline wants. It's a 50-year federal project with 65% federal paid. 
and then you've got well-managed state funds or more recently I think better managed uh, state contributions coming together with New Hanover County's investment uh, in their shoreline through as you said the uh, room occupancy tax right and it's the it's the financial capacity of the community and the foresight to do this is Dennis is what I think uh it's kind of extraordinary to think 50 years ago people were thinking that far ahead. And that is amazing. Damn That's smart. Amazing. Somebody, was, somebody was thinking. It's pretty. always better to be ahead of the curve than behind it. Yep. So what do you think is the highlight of AIWA? How's it been going? We're in, well, it's a great conference. It brings a lot of different perspectives about common situations and common challenges that we face in trying to keep our coastal in such good shape, whether it be beach nourishment or channel uh, inlet maintenance or waterway maintenance and uh, those perspectives as a presentation was just given we're facing challenges like where do we put our uh, spoil material when we do dredging for the um, channels whether it be inlet or waterway the uh, situation has recently popped up uh, where we can no longer use the uh, state property that's been designated for store for disposal of spool material uh, because the Corps is using it the Corps of Engineers is using it for yeah. placement so we're working on that uh, and that's one one situation that's been discussed here at this conference how what are, how are we going to deal with the spool material and keep doing what we need to do to keep our waterways and our inlets open right I think that's a really good point and and for the listeners out there along these waterways including the uh, Gulf Intercoastal Waterway uh, or even ports federally maintained channels there are designated dredge material placement areas these are typically levied areas that have a certain capacity to hold dredge material and uh, I kind of think of it as an empty uh, cup and it gets filled up with sand as the channels are maintained but the federal government recently and the Corps of Engineers has sort of announced that they're not going to let state and local communities put sand into their placement areas anymore even though as you point out these uh, these areas are typically provided by the state or local sponsor uh, and that means that it creates a problem for local governments and uh, counties and and port smaller ports that have to dredge and maintain channels um, that seems like Dennis a good thing to to spend some time on. Absolutely, absolutely. The, um, it's costly, number one, to do dredging in, in the first place. The most effective uh, way to do it is to have these spoil material locations, disposal sites. So when you do dredge, pump the material directly by pipeline from the intercoastal waterway or the connecting channels into the spool area. When you close, um, and it also applies to non-federal, non-state entities doing dredge work for marinas. And that's, I think that's where it's going to have a big impact, too, in that these companies will no longer be able to put their spoil material in those state sites. So their only fallback is to do dredging and truck it off-site, which probably triples or quadruples the cost per cubic yard to remove spoil material from marinas, from um, dock areas, private private dock areas or whatever. So we, we have to come up with a solution 
that satisfies the federal concern with you know, filling up their disposal sites that they have easements from the state on, as well as accommodate our small dredging companies who are vital in keeping our intercoastal waterway facilities, commercial and industrial facilities, free and, and dredged deep enough to be able to use. Yeah, uh, definitely a big issue. Um, and it seems like what I'm hearing is that the trend is definitely toward using, uh, at least in the case of the intercoastal, where you're not necessarily dealing with beach quality sand uh, most of the time, uh, where you'd want to put it on a beach, that there is an opportunity to use this material to build up uh, marshes and, you know, basically uh, create habitat areas that are desirable for either, you know, in birds, reproductive, you know, good for the environment. Also, I would point out good for carbon capture. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot going, being said right now about the importance of protecting wetlands and creating wetlands for both storm resiliency purposes and for carbon capture purposes. Uh, and it definitely seems that that's what I'm hearing at, at this conference is, hey, look, we can, we can use this material. Instead of, you know, sequestering it in the old school Army Corps sites, which are basically a, you know, it would be the equivalent of a, you know, a, a armory, a barracks. It's got four <laughs> walls and right. it goes in there. The idea is that you can put this, you can distribute this along the banks of a certain sections of the waterway where it's applicable and build out uh, this habitat, which I think is, uh, you know, definitely a desirable feature going forward. I want to shift the conversation, if, if I might, to um, your time as mayor. Um, and I'm, this is more of a Peter zone on his local control pod. But, um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is here you are at this conference. This is all about working together, getting people from uh, different zones, different states, different interests, different types of stakeholders together to kind of work together and promote a common purpose. Uh, NC byways, same thing as you were talking about, you not unifying the whole state. Um, and in fact, on the island, uh, what, what was the name of the island? Paradise Peace? Uh, Pleasure Island. Ple <laughs> Pleasure Island, forgive me. <laughs> on Pleasure Island, uh, you were talking about how it's one island. We think of it, conceive of it as one island, even though maybe in the tourism book, it might be, there might be two places. Right. You think of it as a single place. I'm curious to know how you approach governing at a local level bringing people together there's obviously so much technical stuff and you know you were elected you had you had supporters people liked you um how did you do that how did you make that happen well that's a that's a big question yeah uh, probably my first realization was that even in local government on a small island uh in our case <clears throat> we have a bridge that separates the island from the mainland and you've got to understand governing doesn't stop at the bridge you have to establish relationships with federal government people state government people and county government people to accomplish your goals even for a small town because regulations now in anything you do have federal regulations state regulations and county regulations and so you've got to be on top of those understand them know what your limitations are 
and in some cases know the right people to work toward changing regulation to fit your area, your community. And that, that was a big reg, uh, realization, you know. Can I follow up? Yes, sir. So when you're dealing with your constituents on island and you're talking to them about that and you're telling them, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over to the county. I'm going to cross the bridge and I'm going to go to the county. And I'm going to talk to the feds. This is complicated. Get, I mean, how do you how is that received when you tell them that? Are, do they, are you attacked by competitors that say, hey, look at this guy. He's going and working with the county. I mean, not really. I think it's all about education and communication. I mean, part of the job of being a mayor is effective communication. And you also have to present it to the public in your, in your constituents in a way they can understand it and relate to it. And, uh, you know, communication is just key to being a successful politician anywhere, anywhere, but even on a small local area like Carolina Beach. And I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious about this because you are uh, clearly a collaborative guy, it seems to me. Um, how, when you are a public figure on, on your island, what did you say? It was how many thousand full-time residents? About 6,500. 6,500. Okay. So we're talking about a pretty small community of yes. folks. Um, and everyone, you know, at, at a, with a community that size, everyone knows pretty much everybody. And you will hear if somebody's got a problem with you, you're going to hear about it. How do you, how do you communicate with people about this stuff? I mean, do you, it, I, it must take an enormous amount of time to, to explain the complexity uh, and, and, and instill a spirit of cooperation with the people who you've been elected to lead. Yes. Well, in my case, which is to my benefit, I was a long-time or have been a long-time resident of Carolina Beach. And with two businesses, it's pretty easy to communicate when you've got half of those residents coming through your business. Um, while I was mayor, I had to set up a separate office in my business just to be able to talk to people that came in with questions. But, um, you know, that, that, was, that was my benefit. It's more difficult if you come in, you've only lived in an area for two or three years and haven't established that communication and relationship with your constituents in a small community. The old saying, bad news travels fast and good news travels slow. And, you know, you just have to keep good news flowing. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. I, I, I'm going to shift, uh, shift the subject again to your uh, marina. Yes. Tell, yeah, tell our about audience that. about the, the, your marina there. Well, I've had, it's relatively a small 35 boat slips. Uh, it's right off the intercoastal waterway in a no-wake zone called the Yacht Basin at Carolina Beach. And um, I, I rent boat slips on a year-round basis and boat lifts to uh, boat owners. And, you know, it's always my, I'm a certified, I mean, a licensed captain. I uh, have had my license since 1975, so... I love the water. Um, it's probably, I'll, I'm retired from GE, worked there for 35 years, but in my retirement now, it's the best job in the world. <laughs> best job in the world. When uh, are your customers at Common, uh, do they transit through the intercoastal water, the waterway? Uh, is that a common uh, use of the folks at, from, from your marina? 
not not too much. Uh, most of mine are permanent. I have some transit slips, but most of mine are permanent year-round uh, renters. We do in Carolina Beach, for those of you who might be coming through our area, have a mooring field that was put in place by Very cool. town of Carolina Beach. Uh, has a big mooring ball. You just pull up, take their rope, hook it onto your bow cleat, and you can spend the night. Now, there is a fee, about $20 a night, but it gives you uh, good mooring. You're, you're safe. You won't drift or drag if the wind picks up, uh, and it's it, sometimes it's full to capacity with 12 mooring balls, and they're looking at even expanding that. So if you're in our area, stop by. Yeah, just uh, for the benefit of folks out there, if you're trying to find the Island Marina, how would you? where is that online? Um, you know, I'm not sure where it's at online, but <laughs> I, do have, I do have I people bet. finding me online. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Now, Dennis, <laughs> I don't. I don't have a website specifically for the marina because right. we don't offer fuel uh, okay. or or boat hauling facilities. There's right. other places on the beach, but uh, yeah, you can find us online. Do you uh, have any liveaboard uh, slips on your marina? Uh, no, we don't. Okay, uh, so uh, nobody's sneaking aboard, right? Nobody's sneaking well, sneak living mean, aboard. You know. <laughs> I was a I was a sneak live aboard. I think the statute of limitations has passed. I'll I'll say that in Emeryville Marina in the Bay Area, yeah, I was I was definitely living aboard, but I had a good relationship with the uh, harbor master there, yep. Yep. so I was able to squeeze squeeze by. Yeah. Well, uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about we before the interview. We were uh, it's a story that I've posted on Coastal News today. It'll come out tomorrow about Freeman Park in New Hanover, Hanover County. Huh. And, and I want to bring this up, Dennis, because you're experienced in this particular issue, and it illustrates kind of the complexity that comes up when you're talking about public access and recreational facilities on the beach and how they're managed and maintained. Uh, can you tell, us, tell our listeners around the country the story of Freeman Park and uh, the efforts to maintain the shoreline in front of this lovely uh, park in New Hanover County, North Carolina? Well, the park itself is about a mile and a half long uh, stretch of oceanfront uh, beach area that they allow uh, vehicles, four-wheel drive vehicles, to drive on the beach and right up to the water. And on the uh, just the back side of the beach park, which is the protective dunes, they also allow camping. You can go online and get a camping permit for overnight camping at designated campsites so it's a good recreation area it is just attracts a ton of people over the uh, especially on the weekends good fishing and it's close to Carolina Beach Inlet um, only situation we have is beach erosion there huh. and it's part of the uh, county that does not fall under the uh, federal beach renourishment coastal storm damage reduction project so Basically, the only way to get sand put on the beach is to use it as a disposal area when you're dredging the inlet crossing, Carolina Beach Inlet Crossing. Now, the sand that comes out of the inlet crossing is beach-quality sand, so there's no problem putting that on a beach. So it serves the, the dredge then serves two purposes. It takes sand out of a navigation channel and puts it on a beach to help restore the beach that's eroded away. 
there, the second problem is you can only put the sand so close to a navigation channel. Otherwise, when you dredge the channel, if you put the sand too close, it just washes back in the channel. Right. So you're defeating the purpose. It's a Sisyphean uh, task, exactly. you might say. Exactly. So we have a little, we call it a pinch point right now, that uh, the strand is not very wide and uh, is restricting vehicle passage. But uh, there won't be any sand put on it this year through the process that I just described. But we're hoping that Mother Nature will take over and help us there because in the summer we have prevailing southwest winds and uh, science has proven sand migrates north at the, in, in the uh, summertime and south in the wintertime. So we're hoping that that pinch point will be helped out by Mother Nature. Well, here's a couple of interesting things. I brought this up because Tyler and I are very, very good friends with our with uh, Ruben Trevino, who is the uh, Galveston C- uh, County Parks Board of Trustees manager, basically the beach park manager for Galveston, Texas. And, uh, and financing the maintenance of coastal parks is a big deal. Uh, this particular park happens to be in the county, but is operated under an MOU by the town of Carolina Beach, which yes. I think is interesting. Uh, but it was kind of a wild land. You know, there wasn't any management out there, no trash pickup, that kind of thing. The city takes it over. They put in, as you said, some facilities, right? Yes. Rest, uh, port-a-johns on a trailer so they can be removed if the hurricane or something is coming, as well as trash receptacles, police enforcement. And I didn't mention, but there's also lifeguards protecting ah. that beach in the summertime. One of the few driving on-beach driving places in North Carolina, isn't it? One of the very few, yes. So get this, Tyler. A day pass at this park, 40 bucks. Wow. A holiday pass for a day on a holiday, $60. A annual pass to get into this park for camping is a $200 fee. Now, that's kind of, those are extraordinarily high numbers. And I think what Dennis was telling me beforehand, he said, you know, when we started it out, we put, the, we, I think we put 25 bucks on it or 50. And oh, it was 50, yeah. It, it made people think it was worth more. And, and well, it, it became in a really, uh, that's an amazing, that's an amazingly <laughs> high fee. I know, uh, you know, the, the beaches that we pay to get on sometimes, two, three, four, five dollars yeah. to get out yeah. there. Well, and, it's, it's an interesting uh, idea in that, and, and this is a thing. This is a theme that we talk about all the time, which is that uh, when you're accustomed to a thing being free, uh, it's really hard. That that transition to it's no longer free is uh, can be a jolt. And what I think is so interesting about that in that case is that you went from, I'm guessing it was free, uh, or the park was 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 it originally a, a recreational site, or was this created with the creation of the park? Well, it it was kind of created so to speak uh, when so you got a fresh four, start well when four-wheel drives became so so popular oh. uh years ago and right like suvs were just yeah it, you know four-wheel drives exploded and uh before that two-wheel drive vehicles could not drive on the beachfront and they'd get, get stuck in the sand so it really exploded when four-wheel drive vehicles became so interesting popular. so people would go down there when it was under the unmanaged by the county it was right. sort of open territory right exactly. you'd get down there and drive up and down the beach and but do there were no want. lifeguards there were no porta johns there was none of no that. trash yeah right no and then you put a, a a gate on it you put a fee and you park it right at 50 
bucks to start. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And people paid. Yes. Yes. What I, kind of backlash was there? Well, the backlash mainly came from locals who had used the beach for a number of years. Yeah. And were now concerned. Um, it, it, you know, it kind of passed. And to help the local residents currently beginning no, December 9th this year through January 31st next year, these $200 passes will be on sale for, I think, $100 to local residents. Yeah, I'm looking at the website. I think, uh, yeah, you get, a, you get a $100 discount. Do you have to be a resident of the town to get that price? No. Uh, we, I don't think the town could actually uh, penalize, yeah. Yeah, I don't especially think since yeah. it is a, a stretch of land that's under county jurisdiction. So right. It's out of How are you going to? Say, well, it's the Carolina, early bird special. You got hey, it. You can get it. It's on the website at carolinabeach.org. You got uh, it. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if you're in the zone, can strongly <laughs> consider getting that early bird special. Yes. It's a good deal. 50% off. Yep. 50% yep. off. But And that allows the city to operate the park. And, and this, what it is, and this is, this is really true that I think uh, folks that we talk to around the country uh, are constantly weighing uh, wanting to provide good access, wanting the public to be there, and then having to maintain these facilities, the trash pickup. There's a safety issue out here, especially if there's driving on the beach and law enforcement required. I mean, this isn't free to operate, and right. uh, and it's tough to, to, to figure out how to pay for it. And uh, it sounds like you guys – tell you, Ruben would – if Ruben could charge $40 to get into the beach park, he would have no problems with his shoreline management program. Well, and, you know, it would be a, I think that, you know, I'm thinking of uh, the county stretch there on the northern part of uh, the South Padre, north of the city of South Padre Island. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. There's a large undeveloped area that's commonly recreated on. People go up there and camp, but there is a problem with trash and all that, the normal stuff you would find on a beach. It is a driving beach. It's a similar situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can only imagine the public backlash that would uh, exist if a $50 fee were implemented. It would be price prohibitive, I think, for, for yeah. some of the people that recreate up there. Yeah. But then you think about it, and I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to advocate one way or the other, but you do see some really nice trucks going up and down that, <laughs> that <Yeah>. beach. <laughs> These are some $80,000 vehicles. So, you know, maybe 50 bucks isn't so bad for to get, you know, to help pay for the management of the space. Right. Another point in a municipal municipality like Carolina Beach, um, the funds that are collected for beach access goes into the tourism fund, which benefits other, other facilities or other amenities around Carolina Beach because we furnish lifeguards for the whole strand of the municipality of Carolina Beach. We furnish parking lots. We, we furnish a lot of things that, in our opinion, falls under tourist needs, people to right. come to visit us. So part of that funding does go for other things other than just administering control of Freeman Park itself. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, in Texas, it's kind of the opposite. If you if you have an entrance fee to the beach park, all of the funds have to be dedicated specifically to that shoreline trash pickup, lifeguards, law enforcement, I think are all permitted uh, uses of the revenue. But you've got this spinoff benefit, which has got to help because oh, absolutely. it helps helps the entire community. That. You know, think of yourself as a local a resident. And if you had to increase taxes to pay those other 
benefits for tourists coming to our area, then our tax taxes would be astronomical mm-hmm. to be able to accommodate thirty thousand people in the winter in the totally. summertime and sixty five hundred local residents versus sixty five hundred in the winter. Yeah, it is a big challenge financially for the community to do that. This. Yes. Uh, Rental occupancy taxes are so important in so many beach communities, and I think North Carolina is unique in, in really using it effectively uh, yes. in shoreline uh, and coastal management. I want to ask you about. Uh, let's talk about climate change in North Carolina. We got to. Yeah, this sure. comes up. You know, it <laughs> is in the discussions. That are we allowed to talk? Are about we allowed? Are we, are we, are we allowed word? to talk about that? <laughs> well, I'm in. I'm in no way. Um, an authority on climate change and the effects it has on on our coastal communities i leave that up to the scientists mm-hmm. um you know we we have astronomical high tides which we've been experiencing for the past couple of weeks that's caused really flooding in the low-lying areas uh one particular area is canal drive that's low to begin with uh, so we just kind of deal with that extra flooding during astronomical high tides as far as if if whatever the effects are of climate change and and the ocean rises, uh, the way you help control that is through our coastal storm damage reduction projects. We have already established a, I'm going to guess, a 10-foot protective dune that runs along the beach, between the beach and the water. You have your, your renourished strand that allows places for people to uh, lay out for the day on the beach or whatever but the um the the beach renourishment uh coastal storm damage reduction projects in this protective dune not only protects the oceanfront houses but all the rest of the infrastructure within carolina beach you've got water sewer electric underground so it's you know we look at it as protecting our infrastructure and it does it does well i've got one final uh question and topic i'll say and that is so we're here in beautiful savannah georgia really love savannah Uh, it's just been a just a lovely a lovely place to spend a few days and uh you're representing the uh state of north carolina here uh which is right in the middle it's fair to say of the eastern seaboard the mid-atlantic states yep the mid-atlantic right there and uh, right in the middle of the action as far as the intracoastal the atlantic intracoastal waterway is concerned and uh, one of the things that we've learned is that in addition to all of the commercial and industrial uses of the uh, waterway, there's tremendous recreational value. And you've got a marina and you're right there in, in North Carolina. Now, I have personally never visited the North Carolina shoreline. And we had Spencer Rogers on. We did. Uh, let's see, uh, back at ASBPA a month ago. And I asked him about the geology of North Carolina, because when you look at it from space, I mean, North Carolina is striking on the map. It jets way out and there's this big like delta thing. And he took us through the geologic history going back 50,000 million years. I mean, it was really incredible. Go (laughs) back and listen to that. But I want to ask you, you're a lifelong resident. You've undoubtedly spent, you're a captain. You've spent time on the water. You've spent time up there on the intracoastal. You've, I'm sure, traveled it. Would you... Just take a few minutes and talk about the the beauty of the space or, you know, what it's like to be there. Well, I can speak from personal experience on that. Um, I'm a licensed captain with the U.S. Coast Guard, have a master's license. I like to take people fishing as 
not so much a business, but as a enjoyment for myself. Yeah. Um, for me, anyway, the, the things I experience being on the water uh, is is immense. I mean, every time I go, practically, I see something different on the ocean and the waterway. In the waterway, you see log, big loggerhead turtles pop their head up. You see um, porpoise, dolphin, whatever you want to call them, just all kinds of wildlife. Ospreys, we have a ton of ospreys in our area. You go in the ocean, you see loggerhead turtles, you see porpoise, sharks, whales. Uh, the other day, I was blown away. I was in the ocean fishing, and uh, a leatherback turtle, turtle wow. swam by. Wow. And they're huge. They're I never big. really understood how much larger they were than a loggerhead turtle. And he just politely swam right by my boat, gave me a good look, and I said, wow. Yeah, they can, uh, 2,000 pounds, uh, six, eight feet yeah. long. That is a big, yes. that is the largest, is the leatherback. I don't know if they, maybe they nest here. I don't know if they do. I don't know. Uh, not, not very many, if there are any, but I just had the prime opportunity to see one. And that's what keeps me going, you know, being on the water. is It's peaceful. It's, uh, it can be, Mother Nature can get angry and make the ocean rough, or it can be, the total opposite and be flat calm clear water immense wildlife just it, I, I just love it love it you know it sounds melissa danko this morning uh who is with the marine trades association in new jersey was on the podcast with david kennedy from uh boat us and uh David Dickerson from the National Marine Manufacturers Association, all of the folks who work on yep. in the in the recreational boating industry, as you do with the marina that you have uh, spoke, spoke about that sort of spiritual experience of being on the water and how important that is yeah. uh, to them and, and their members. If you've never experienced the ocean very much, um, it's one thing to go in the ocean. If you have ever been far enough in the ocean that all you see is water 360 degrees that's an experience that you'll never forget because it really makes you understand how small you are in the universe that is so well put dennis and one of the reasons i think it is an amazing place it is that sort of perspective on whatever problem you think you have stand on the shoreline or as you said get far enough away from the land that the only thing you see is water and you'll, you'll get it you'll get a sense you'll be, and when you feel a, that small it's humbling it's humbling it and you become a you become a bigger person it's you, it's you a very it. interesting uh, phenomenon you got it the ladies and gentlemen dennis barber uh a member of the north carolina beaches and, and waterways association board the former mayor of carolina beach north carolina a board member of the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway Association and chairman of the New Hanover uh, County Port Waterways and Beach Commission, owner of a marina, great true value hardware store. I mean, what an all-around guy. Enjoying your retirement, Dennis, and still committed to the public service and, and way to go. Yeah, you cannot complain. You cannot complain about problems if you're not willing to be part of the solution. And that's my theory, always has been, always will be. So well said. Thank you, Dennis, for being on the American Shoreline podcast and sharing your perspective with our listeners. Thank you. I